Hey, this is Max from the Arkells, and you're listening to Underground Sports Philadelphia. What's going on, everybody? We are live with Underground Sports Philadelphia, episode number 211. Kyle Bennett, Matt Castorina, live from Underground Studios. As always, show brought to you by our friends at Main Auto LLC, Ducharms Pro Foot, Security 21, Wainwright Bernhardt Funeral Home, Paul J. Gillespie Incorporated, Bob Novick Auto Mall, Mark Runcetti, CPA, LLC. It's tax season. If you're in the South Jersey area, you should be going to see our friend Mark. And the Dental Wellness Center of Vineland. And of course, our friends at Design Tree dropping all of our merch. Make sure you check out our storefront, dsgentry.com. Search Underground Sports Philadelphia. Get all your Phillies, Sixers, Flyers, and Eagles merch. Use the promo code DSGN10 for $10 off at checkout. What's going on, man? I'm living the dream. We might have to put that on a shirt. Yes. Very on brand. Uh, it's Saturday. Sixers are on a break Saturday. It's kind of been nice to have that relaxation point and and kind of assess what's been going on with this team, but uh, All-Star break is here. Yes. Um, did not watch the uh, the ri- I saw like some highlights from the uh, the Rising Stars challenge last night, but um, I think the main event is clearly tonight with uh, you know the skills competition, the dunk contest, all that. And then obviously tomorrow for the game, but looked like some fun last night, some uh, some fun moments, and it it is nice to have a nice reprieve from the Sixers and not think so much about them, <laughs> um, and and just get a, a break. Really, um, very it's, it's good for the players, and I think good for the fans a little bit. Team USA ended up winning last night, uh, and Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons hanging out with the kids. But remember, guys, they don't like each other. Yeah. Yeah, apparently they are uh, two very diametrically opposed people and will never get along, ever. Um, they just like smiling at each other. Yeah, apparently. Uh, but pretty cool to see Joel and Ben, you know, helping out local area schools in Chicago during All-Star break and, you know, just growing the game even more. Yeah, I, I wonder when they're going to stop. Like, they should just... I. I feel like uh, the recent years they've continually had the All Star Game in like really cold places. Like I think there's only been a few seasons. Oh, it gets where, even worse. Yeah. in the next few years. But uh, somebody put a tweet out. It's, it's got to be brutal, you know. I know that they had, you know, um, like Toronto like a few years ago. Like it's just, I feel like you know it's already tough enough like having to travel to all these places during your regular season. I feel like your All Star Weekend. Um, like why not just have it in like Miami every year? Like I don't know. Like but what's 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 the point in, like, I guess you you want to obviously have it in, like, new places, but it's just got to suck. Like So it's in Chicago this year, obviously. Next year, it's in Indianapolis, Indiana. Cold. The following year, Cleveland, Ohio. Very cold. And then 2023, Salt Lake City, Utah. Potential for cold. Yeah, I mean, that's just rough. Yeah, you have New Orleans, which it wasn't even supposed to be New Orleans. It was supposed to be Charlotte that year. Um, and then you've got... Uh, like Toronto, like that's brutal. New York City this time of year is not fun. No. Uh, yeah, like bring back Orlando. <laughs> like what yeah. the hell? Like I don't know. That's the only thing they have down in Orlando. Like it's the magic. Like you'd think they'd want to. Yeah, I mean you have Disney right there. Disney. You have all those other places. Like you know, it it would encourage other like players to maybe vacation there. I don't know. Just even Phoenix. Yeah, it's just it's it's rough. Like, I would just hate as a player to like you get this kind of like time off and celebrate, and it's like oh yeah, it's uh, ten degrees out. <laughs> Do a better job, NBA. Um, but yeah, it's been nice to kind of have this relaxation point. Nobody freaking out about the Sixers and uh, kind of a, a mental strap up for the second half of the season. Yeah, it's good. It's uh like I said, it's a nice little reprieve and just uh, I think get everyone emotionally back to a level where they can sustain themselves for. Uh, a pretty difficult last stretch of the season um, and, you know, what should be a very entertaining and hopefully fruitful playoffs, not a heartbreaking one. 
kicking a little old school. Flyers are back, Matt. They're back. Uh, you know, obviously, they they took that whomping loss on February 6th to the Devils. But they've been on a, a nice little streak here. They dropped one to the Islanders. But they took down the Capitals last Saturday, 7-2, to in very convincing fashion. And they've beaten the Florida Panthers twice in the last few games uh, to get themselves in a very comfortable position to potentially move up even further. And they've got a big matchup down in Tampa tonight, uh, or I should say this afternoon, against the Lightning. Uh, but the Flyers are in fourth place in their division, and they are only eight points behind the Washington Capitals for first place in the Met. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty difficult division. A lot of uh, very strong teams. Fly. It seems like no matter what, if you were in the Wells Fargo Center, you have a very tough division, and it's <laughs> it's uh, it's going to be difficult. And normally a season that might have you as more of a standout team, a top four, top five team, is going to have you somewhere near the middle of the pack instead. Um and, you know, I know, I know people say, well, it doesn't matter if they were in an, uh, another division. You know, it'd still be like, but you have to play these teams more. You have to play these mm-hmm. other very strong teams more than, you know, some of these more clunky bottom feeder teams. Um, when you have, you know, four or five other very strong teams in your division that you play, uh, <laughs> you know, a lot more than you'll play any of these other teams, that, that just naturally makes it more difficult. But you have to give some credit to the Flyers. Um you know, and, and what they've been able to do so far this year. And I feel like they have gone under the radar mostly because people haven't trusted them, myself included. Um, and it always felt like this team is kind of just teetering on, all right, when's the breakdown coming? Um, but they've they've been pretty resilient and, frankly, very good this year, if we're just being honest. This has been a, a more entertaining team to watch. Um, you have, you know, young players finally actually making a, a difference. I feel like we've heard for years that they have all this young talent and we're starting to see some of the real fruits of that, not just, you know, ghost, you know, with one good season. Mm-hmm. You're seeing some real continued success now. Carter Hart's back and uh, he had a, a strong, like, few returning games. So there's there's plenty to be positive about for the Flyers. TK was an all-star. Yeah. Provorov's been pretty and that, good. And that's again. what I meant is now you're seeing, like, you know, not just kind of flash-in-the-pan right. greatness. You're seeing actual continued, like, oh, like, TK's good. Like, he, this is a, this is a good player. And, like, yeah, right now they have so much young talent on the roster that, like, they can afford to send some of the young talent down. Like, Morgan Frost was sent back to the Phantoms yesterday because just wasn't playing because they have so much young talent. They've got, obviously, the veterans in, like, Drew, Voracek. They brought in Kevin Hayes, and he's been – you know, an off-the-ice spark, and when the Flyers are shorthanded, he scores goals. Um, but, I mean, they're one point behind the Islanders for locking in a top-three spot in the Met, and they're five points behind the Penguins. Like, that's very manageable, I'd say, in the NHL, the way things are night to night. The Flyers can make some noise if they, you know, rattle off some even, you know, uh, another stretch of games here and position themselves to be in the playoffs and, and make some noise. And Flyers are historically a team, too, that are uh, prone to streaking, uh, both positive and negative. Uh, you know, this is a team that has seen the uh, a really extendedly long win streak and a really extendedly long <laughs> losing streak. So, yeah, it's, it's certainly within their ability to, you know, pop off, you know, eight, nine games in a row. And I don't think you wouldn't be too shocked about that. And I mean, even there's been times this season where they've been hot like that. Um, so, yeah, it's it's certainly within the realm of possibility that this is uh, they have an even stronger finish than we anticipate. But um, it'll be nice, you know. Hopefully, having playoff hockey uh, back, you know, in, in a similar way to having, you know, we wanted playoff basketball back, and we are desperately wanting playoff baseball back. Um, it'll be nice to have playoff hockey in, in a more meaningful way too. Like this team is actually starting to feel like. They, and hockey's stupid. My, my brother has said it, and he's right. He, you know, when he talks about who's the next team to win a, a championship in Philadelphia, he maintains the Flyers, not just because he's biased, but because he's right when he says, because hockey's stupid, and any team can win. The St. Louis Blues were picked by no one last year to win. They had the worst record in the month, like, in the month of January, they had the worst record in the NHL. The Tampa Bay Lightning were one of the best teams of all time and lost in the first round of the playoffs that is how stupid and the shell is it, it does none of it makes sense so if you can make it into the playoffs yeah you always have a chance and um you know you kind of hope for the same with the flyers and i think it's it's overall good when teams are in the city are doing well i don't ever want any of them to be bad it's just that the flyers have always been in this kind of purgatory um really my entire life you know they've always been a good team but they've never been a team that's embraced tanking whether that's you know for better or for worse um 
and you know you are starting to see some of the lean years that they did have um not that any of it was intentional but that uh they are they're getting some fruit out of that which is good yeah and i mean they're 32 19 and 7 if they were in the atlantic division they'd be in third place you yeah know, everybody talking about oh they wouldn't even be a playoff no they'd be right behind the lightning and the bruins for third place in the atlantic division because every other team that would be behind them doesn't even have 70 points yet on the season Flyers are, are positioning themselves for a, a nice little run here as we you know go through the rest of February and get into March. Play the Lightning tonight in Tampa, and then they have a home-and-home home, uh, with the Blue Jackets. They go and play the Jets at the Wells Fargo Center. Then the Sharks come to town, and the Rangers for a home-and-home home on February 28th and then March 1st. That's a nice little stretch run of games where the Flyers could push themselves up in the standings even more if they rattle off, you know, maybe only two losses at most in this little stretch here before the month of March starts. Yeah, I mean, this is a, this is crunch time now for this team, and this is where youth can kind of uh, pay dividends for you or, or be a little bit of the, the author of your demise in that, um, you know, you do have obviously veteran leadership on this team. I, th- I still think this is a, um, while there is young players that are, are you know, taking leaps forward. I wouldn't quite call this a youth movement the Flyers have. Um, certainly some of the you know stars of the team are younger, but like you said, you, you still have these this veteran leadership uh, available to you, which is good and I think could be a, a strong closing part of you know this, this last month and a half of the season when you have guys that are going to be capable of sort of keeping everyone in check and keeping everyone focused on the goal here. And, um, you know, you hope that the Flyers can put it all together and be a be a playoff team. You want that. I really want that. And you look at the, the rest of the schedule, too. I mean, there's one matchup left against the Capitals in D.C. Um, you obviously have the the fringe matchups with teams like the Hurricanes. You get the, the playoff experience with another matchup against Tampa Bay. You've got one more matchup against the Islanders in Philadelphia. Uh, you got one more matchup against the Penguins in Philadelphia. And, you know, with the rest of the schedule kind of playing out the way it does, there's a lot of winnable games in here for the Flyers. You know, a ton of games against the Rangers, the Sabres, not great teams. The Oilers, obviously they have Conor McDavid, but overall as a team, they're beatable. Um, It's a very encouraging rest of the season schedule for the Flyers. If they can, you know, lock in, get that veteran leadership from guys who have been there and done that, like Drew Voracek, Kevin Hayes, and have like that extra jolt from this youth movement that we've seen with TK, Provorov, you know, Joel Farabee, uh, Carter Hart, and get Carter Hart some playoff experience too. I think that would be huge, especially since he's only 22. Yeah, I mean, we also forget that Claude was here for a Stanley Cup, right? Because exactly. it feels so long. I mean, it, and it was. It was a, a decade, decade ago. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, and I, I do think there is a lot to account for when you talk about um, – not even just playoff experience, but just experience, you know, in being in, you know, the, the games now are going to get a lot more difficult, I think, mentally and preparation-wise, where they're much more meaningful than they were in, you know, November. Um, every win now is much more crucial. Even every, you know, regulation loss, as opposed to getting to, to a shootout or whatever is, you know, important. Um, you know, so now, now you're getting to a stage where, um, it, it is crunch time, and you're going to have to be very dependent on you know guys like Drew, guys like Voracek, to uh, to sort of lead this team forward. And yeah, Kevin Hayes, I think you know, yes, he hasn't been the the best on ice addition, but you know, I, I certainly from the media side of things, uh, the Flyers Twitter <laughs> really loves him because he <laughs> seems open to doing anything. Uh, he's he's always has the mic in his hand, you know, interviewing the other players, and he he de- he does genuinely seem though like he's been. Um, you know, and to use a cliche, like a great locker room guy. Mm-hmm. Like it does really seem like people like him and like he's an endearing person to everyone and, and people like being around him. If I was getting paid the money that he was, I would also oh, yeah. be just as uh, charming and, <laughs> and uh, have as much charisma as he does and be happy to be in the camera at all times. Um, but he, he does seem to have, uh, you know, kind of been a, a good glue for, for everyone else. And not only that, on the, you know, surface of everything that's accessible to the fans, it's, it's given this team a personality. Like, there's somebody to connect with and be like, I want to root for that guy. You know, a lot of hockey players kind of keep to themselves. Obviously, we've had TK, and I think Kevin Hayes being here has unlocked another level of TK personality-wise. But I think Kevin Hayes being here has given the Flyers that guy 
where like the Eagles have Malcolm Jenkins and Fletcher Cox. The Phillies last year obviously got Bryce Harper. They have Andrew McCutcheon who has that swagger about him. And I think that's what Kevin Hayes brings to the Flyers. Joel Embiid obviously is is that guy for the Sixers. Plus you've got, you know, a bunch of different athletes that have that kind of connection with the fans. Mike Scott obviously has been that since he's gotten here. Um but I think Kevin Hayes has become that guy and it's something that hockey definitely needs. We talked about, you know, growing the game with baseball and personality and marketing and everything on the last show. Hockey needs that a little bit too, just on a, you know, general consensus to bring in the casual fans. And I think Kevin Hayes has done that a lot this year with Flyers fans. Yeah, you, you want people that are visible. You want people, you know, Chris Pronger, right, was past his his prime when he came to the Flyers. He's still a great player, obviously, but he, he wasn't, you know, the number one defenseman mm-hmm. in the league anymore. But he was someone that he was he was a star and, and people wanted to see him. And I think he became, a, now he wasn't as charismatic as someone like Kevin Hayes, but I think he was kind of similarly like, looked up to in the sense of like, wow, he, like he was a big name. Uh, he he certainly seemed like a very professional guy. Like he came across very well, um, and people they endeared themselves to him, right? And Danny Briere, another guy that was on the quieter side, but I think again, people really just took a shine to. And Kevin Hayes is, I think, in a, a similar mold. Um, a little, it's a little more online than those were, but I think that's also you know you're talking it's about guys nice. that are around in the 2010s, so it's like a little different. But yeah, it's um. It's, it's good to have guys like that that make you want to care for the team, and it's good for the Flyers organization to have guys like that because, the, again, they've been starved the last few years of, you know, the only notable thing that, um and, and this matters, you know, it matters, you know, having guys that are good with media, guys that fans want to root for. The only thing that you've had really since those, you know, playoff years where was the ghost uh, ghost bear things like and you had like the ghost bear shirts mm-hmm. like that was the, that was like the, the big then thing that guy came to town yeah, and, and then he has been the face of the team but you until you now you don't want your mascot to be the exactly. face exactly <laughs> and um, that's been the issue with the flyers is that they unveil gritty their first mascot in you know decades and he instantly just became the face of the franchise and it kind of dwarfed what the guys on the ice were actually doing absolutely and now now it's you know kind of ebbing and flowing the other way now where I think people are appreciating what the Flyers have built and that there's still room to grow with this team. They still have guys that they've drafted that you're hopeful about. Um, so that's – it's the Flyers are in a good position. And, you know, again, when you do talk about the stuff of, like, who's next to win a championship, I do think you have to say the Wells Fargo uh, coalition are the two most likely teams in my mind just – yeah, the Flyers hockey stupid and anything can happen, and the Sixers are still a, a very competitive team. Um, whereas you know the Eagles, we'll see what next year looks right. like. We'll see what this draft looks like, and the Phillies. So much as I love the Phillies to win a championship, it's it's a pretty big task mm-hmm. right now when you just consider the level of talent around, and that baseball is usually a very talent driven sport. Like the typically the best teams in baseball win. Of course, there's there's going to be outliers to that, but. Yeah, you know, I would I would love for either of the uh, Wells Fargo uh, inhabitants to to win, uh, or both, really. Yeah. <laughs> both would probably be the most ideal scenario, really. Absolutely. Um, and we'll see what the Flyers do today. Uh, as obviously, the show coming at you on Saturday on Facebook. Um, you know, playing against a team like Tampa Bay, it's a good litmus test for them. They're a playoff team uh, in the other, you know, East Division. So, nice little matchup there. To uh, I've always, see how you've always hated Tampa Bay. Very I've true. Never forgiven them for 2004. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we'll see how they match up against Tampa Bay this afternoon. Um, and I think it's going to be a good test for them to go down there, kind of a hostile environment. Tampa Bay's built up a, a nice fan base for the Lightning. And uh, hopefully the Flyers can go on the road and snag two road points uh, and come back with, you know, a nice little stretch run of hockey here. As we uh, get ready for the month of March almost, as we're halfway through February. A lot of Philly stuff to come out the past couple days, Matt. Obviously, pitchers and catchers have reported spring training is underway. We've heard from everybody in the front office now. Matt Klentak spoke, Girardi spoke, and Andy McPhail spoke, unfortunately. Um, And they talked about the luxury tax. Probably not the last time we'll hear about this because... You need to go over the tax. Like the luxury tax lasts from the start of the season to the end of the season. I don't understand the mindset of, you know, somebody coming out and saying, you know, Chris Bryant's a guy that we would go over the luxury tax for. 
but you're not going to trade for him now. You're going to wait for the trade deadline to trade for somebody to go over the luxury tax when, in all reality, it doesn't matter, you know, if you do it now or then, you're still going to go over the tax and it counts towards your 2020 luxury tax. It, it drives me nuts the way that this front office thinks. Um, Andy McPhail, throughout his press conference yesterday, said, I'm going to say some things that are going to get me in trouble like 15 times. Uh <laughs> It was just... It's like, uh, I don't have divorced parents, but it's like if you went to see your divorced dad and he's like openly talking about your, your mom, he's like, I shouldn't be mentioning all this to you, but here's all the dirt. It's like, oh, you should not be saying anything that you're saying to me. This article comes from uh, Matt Gelb. Uh, he writes for The Athletic. Great stuff uh, that he puts out you know, every single day covering this team. But uh, part of this article says the Phillies... Uh, McPhail said, are not reluctant to exceed the $208 million payroll threshold that triggers luxury tax penalties. The club will probably nudge past the number without making another move, just based on the complicated accounting method, especially if it loses arbitration cases to Real Muto and Hector Neres. Quote from McPhail, it's not an impenetrable barrier by any stretch. It's my hope and, frankly, my expectation that we're going to exceed this year. Just do it now. Go make a move for a pitcher. Go make a move for Chris Bryant or somebody that's going to improve this roster that much more. Why you're waiting and the, these penalties that Andy McPhail talks about don't kick in until you are $10 million, $20 million, and $40 million over the luxury tax. The Phillies are not going to exceed it by that much this offseason and going into this season. Like... You're, you're probably going to be pennies on the dollar over the luxury tax, so why not make a move with some of these free agent pitchers that were out there to start this winter and, and just be feeling that much better about your pitching staff with Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler, and insert pitcher here, followed by only having to figure out one of your rotation spots because, unfortunately, you're going to have to throw Jake Arrieta into one of them. I, I, I think a lot of this, though, it just is they're on the let's – wait and see what this team looks like for you know three months um you know and I think there's something to that you have a new manager you have some new coaching staff as well um you get everyone back healthy you've added Zach Wheeler you theoretically you're going to be calling up one if not both of Spencer Howard and Alec Bohm at some point this year um so I do get this sense of like okay it does make some some sense to to wait and see like what this team looks like and see if there's any more dire needs than someone like Chris Bryant or if another you never know who potentially comes available you know four or five months into a season that that might be good for you um, you don't know what the market might look like if it might be cheaper and I feel like they're kind of hedging on this team being good and that you know maybe they won't have to make a huge splash you know it, I think there's just some value variables that they're looking at that as a fan it sucks because you're right just get the guy and get it done but i think um there is some you know it it, it sucks it, but there, there there is some value i think in waiting and and seeing kind of how the market takes shape but that could bite you in the ass as well um you know especially where, when you have two teams in this division that could also use a guy like chris bryant or nolan arenado but luckily it's down to two teams now because the nationals uh their GM spoke and said, we have faith in Carter Keeboom. We're going to give him every opportunity to start at third base, and we're not looking to make trades. And we have no money. <laughs> which is a beautiful thing. So it's pretty much down to the Phillies and Braves still needing a long-term option and you at know third how, base. You know how much, love, how much the Braves love spending oh, they money. Love you know how much out. they love, oh, especially overpaying for people. You know <laughs> You know, a long history the Atlanta Braves have of really locking guys down in their prime to the big contracts. They love doing that. That is a that is a staple of the Atlanta Braves. They're also often called the Yankees of of the South. And that's I think the most frustrating part is we know the Braves don't spend money. The Nationals have come out and said they're not going to make a trade. The Phillies have that resource there and are kind of just like handcuffing themselves from using it. But the Alternatively, if you're looking at it from what I'm sure is Andy McPhail's, is that means they have all the leverage in negotiation. That means that, okay, we're one of, you know, Frank, there might be another team that we don't really know about. Um, let's say there's a, a team in the AL potentially that, you know, is, is interested in this as well. Who, who that is, probably not even real. But 
you know, if you can say, well, listen, we're your only buyer, um, you know, and, and frankly, the Phillies aren't working in a, a position where they have a lot of strong assets to give in the first place. You know, their two most valuable assets are players that, um, especially someone like Spencer Howard, that I think they have a lot of interest in continuing with this team and, and probably want to see this year and are probably banking on being a contributor at some point this season. So if you can knock down the price a little bit by flexing a little bit of that muscle and, you know, actually being a good negotiator, um, that would actually be quite a turnaround because, frankly, this team has sucked at negotiating. Um, they overpaid Bryce Harper, and they had to. Uh, JT Rumuto gave up quite a bit to get. Was it worth it? It's, you know, at this stage, you'd say, yes, it was worth it, but it's it's not like we've pulled great deals here. It's not like we've been really savvy, and, and all the on-the-margin stuff has been, you know, A-plus grade. We've been a team that's just been like, yeah, we'll, we'll do whatever you want, pretty much. So to be in a position where now we can sort of negotiate the terms is is a good position but um yeah i'm i'm in the same way as you is that i, I would personally like if the choice between adding chris Bryant in july or adding him you know for opening day it's and have him for three months it's opening day and, and you know there is also a point to then you have more time to uh, you'd imagine if you trade for chris Bryant, you're doing it with the knowledge that you can extend him and you will extend him and he has i think a lot of reason to want to be in philadelphia one of his best friends is on the team i think it's a great place to play but you have that extra time to you know court him and and get him involved with the team and you know really make him want to stay then uh gelb finishes off this article and saying here's another hypothetical let's say the phillies played decently over the first few months of the season good enough to convince those in charge that one or two trades could make a difference but what if someone, the Nationals, the Braves, or the Mets, is measurably better and has seized control of the National League East by then? It is one thing to pass on second and third tier free agents in the offseason to preserve financial flexibility, but midseason trades for meaningful pieces often require more than adding salary. The Phillies will have to surrender prospects and money to improve, really improve, during the season. Why would the club's thinking from the previous two summers change this time? Obviously, we know the Phillies have made kind of just those fringe moves, nothing major. Um, And then he goes on to say, then again, maybe this is Middleton's design. Maybe he's not certain whether the people in charge can push this franchise to the next level. As McPhail said, the punishments for exceeding the luxury tax compound with every infraction. uh, This is another year of Harper's prime, another year of Real Muto's prime, and Nola's prime. And it sure would be a terrible thing to waste. No, money will not solve everything, but maybe this whole debate isn't even about money. And that's the scariest thing for these Phillies. I mean, I I do think there there is an element to this that is you don't know if we are actually making smart choices, <laughs> and you don't know the Phillies don't really have a plan, right? And it's never felt like this has been a a perfectly executed anything. It's always felt pretty hodgepodge, and oh, uh, the you know we we tanked. It didn't really go well. We didn't get anyone of of note. We'll start throwing money at people because we have the money to do it. Um, and that's been really mixed success so far um, in both terms of record and in who we've spent the money on. You know, again, Bryce we overpaid for, Jake Arietta, uh, I would say oh, yeah, almost yeah. A, a complete failure in, in both what you paid for him and what you've gotten out of him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're in a weird position where I can see – it just feels like we shouldn't be giving John Middleton a pass. Like, right. you know, like at the end of the day, like he is the owner and it's uh, his money that he should be spending. And he's been very vocal about spending that money and that he wants to. Okay. Like, here's your chance to start signing the check and do it because you are a billionaire. And you've also had, um, this is an incredibly well supported team. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, we've, we made a meal out of the fact that, you know, when this team was competitive, they had like what, like 80 straight years of, you know, sellouts. Like, it, you know, the, the, if this team is good and competitive, people will show up in droves. You have a, a very recently new uh, stadium that's still like a, a great experience mm-hmm. that you're still adding, like the a little addition to. stadium in your division. Still adding like cool little experiences too, like we got last year with the third base stuff. Um, so yeah, like spend the money and people will come. People will come to see this team. Like I don't know what to tell you. Citizens Bank Park is one of the, I think, the best baseball stadium I've been to. 
and just for the experience that you get from watching the game, being able to bring kids, you have, you know, the yard out in the outfield, you have all of these things that you can do while at the game. If you spend money on this team to put a good product out on the field, the people will come. Like, Build it and they will come. <laughs> like, we, we saw it with the Sixers. They went through the process. You got good players. The fans came back. You know, the Flyers, obviously, you know, they have that contingent of fans, but they've also had those perennially good players that you want to come out and see. The Eagles... Football's a bit of a different, you know, animal. You pretty much always sell out. You always you're like sell the out. Jaguars, or something. right? <laughs> but with the Phillies, like you saw that stretch run of continuous sellouts. If you put the product out, you'll get that again and put more money in your pockets, John Middleton. That will recoup what you just spent to put that product on the field. And and I mean, someone like Chris Bryant absolutely sells seats. Like he. he People will show up just to see Chris Bryant. Like, I remember going to a Phillies-Cubs game a few years ago, and, like, there was a lot of Cubs fans, because um, this was, like, I think mm-hmm. right after their World Series. And, like, every Cubs jersey I saw was a Chris Bryant jersey. Like, this guy's, like, he is, like, the, uh, you know, Midwestern Bryce Harper. Yes. Like, you know, people, people love this guy. Like, get him. Like, the marketability that the Phillies would have of having Bryce Harper and Chris Bryant on the same team, along with a guy and Andrew McCutcheon, who has that personality and that swagger, plus you've got the best catcher in baseball here. And then you add a potential bounce back for Reese Hoskins, who we'll get into in a bit. This team has players, they have faces, like, and for a sport that we talked about struggling to market, this team has faces to market to this fan base, and they will eat it alive. Yeah, so bottom line is... uh... John Milton, I, I don't have any, uh, I'm not playing any violins for him. I just want him to spend his money. <laughs> <laughs> so, Matt, I'll give you three options. Do we want to dive into why the Phillies are unlikely to trade for Chris Bryant? Uh, Zach Wheeler going back and forth with Brody Van Wagenen, or Reese Hoskins having a completely new stance? Uh, Reese Hoskins, because I think that's the most pivotal and uh, interesting point here in um if he is to have a, a, a better season, I think that's that's going to be included in that. And, you know, he's someone that we're kind of counting on this year, especially if we're not moving for Chris Bryant until potentially July, if at all. Uh, Reese being good again is very important to this Phillies team. So Reese Hoskins, uh, there were videos coming out during spring training. You know, he was taken at bats. Completely new batting stance. Looked completely different. Jack Fritz, a uh, friend of the show, said that he looked like the good Chris Davis, uh, the one that starts with a K that bats like 250 every season and hits like 45 home runs every year. I would take that in a heartbeat from Reese Hoskins. Hit, you know, a quarter of the balls that come your way and and smack 40 home runs a season. That's what you want from Reese Hoskins. He's not going to be a guy that hits for average. You know, we've known that throughout his entire, you know, run through the Phillies minor league system up until he's gotten here. He's a guy that's supposed to slug for power and and just be that you know burly home run hitter for this team. If he can hit anywhere from like 250 to 260 with 40 to 45 home runs, this Phillies offense just completely unlocked a new element. Yeah, I mean, just think of even last season, which was a down year for him of the, and he has a habit of hitting you know two or three games in a row. You know, kind of he goes on these little spurts throughout the year. And just think of the difference that a lot of those home runs made. And um, especially where he typically hits in the bat, like they're, they're soul crushing. They're often, you know, pitcher change uh, enforcing kind of uh, home runs. Like he is, um, he's a big linchpin to this team in just about every conceivable way too. So him being good this year, I think is, um, I mean, any Phillies player being mm-hmm. good is obviously good for the Philly, but I think his, you know, bounce back potential is, is the the biggest question mark for the Philly success this year. I think a lot of it does hinge on on Reese. And I've got the video pulled up here and just watching it. It looks like he's following through with his swing, you know, a complete 180. You know, he's going all the way through and and just launching balls. Uh, He looks more comfortable. Just obviously it's spring training, so there's no, like, live action going on. But, you know, he looks more comfortable just standing in the box, uh, has a calmness to his swing. It looks fluid. If this is the swing that Reese Hoskins needs, and somehow Joe Dillon figured this out or Joe Girardi figured this out, it's an automatic, you know, win right there for the Phillies, and it's almost like getting uh, a free agent acquisition uh, because Reese Hoskins was 
we all know, dreadful in the second half of the season. Yeah, and and this is where new management and new coaching can make big differences. And of course, we don't know exactly, you know, who made this change and and when, but you know, you can have guys like this that get a little revitalized under a, a new manager having a new voice and um you know as as we saw last year with guys that maybe had down years because of the voices uh, of what people were saying to them and their advice um they can swing the other way and and i think we're all we're all hoping that it is that positive uh regression that that we we see instead of last year was a lot of negative stuff um and i i'm i'm hopeful for that so uh, moving to the Phillies, big free agent acquisition, Zach Wheeler, uh, his former general manager, Brody Van Wagenen with the New York Mets, is kind of chirping at Zach, and Zach clapped back immediately. Uh, pretty much Brody came out and said, um, you know, that Zach Wheeler should be thankful to the Mets for helping him, quote, parlay two good half seasons over the last five years into $118 million dollars. What? <laughs> uh, Zach Wheeler said, he's taken a couple of things I said to heart, I guess, that I really didn't mean for him to do, but I don't care. I mean, what's what's dumb about this is, like, this is public stuff that other players will see, um, and anyone represent... I don't know off the top of my head who Zach Wheeler's, like, agent is. Isn't it, like, family, though? I'm not, I'm not uh, sure. I can look that up. Um, but, like... It's just not smart to ever take shots at someone who's left your organization unless it's like in a really egregious way, which I don't think is like really anything Zach Wheeler did was wrong. Um, it's just dumb. Like it's just not a good look for your your team, for your organization, and for your like future prospects. So it's with Jet Sports, man. Okay, so I it's just it's just a dumb it's just, it's a really dumb thing to do, and is it's very Mets. Oh, it's so Mets, and uh, Zach Wheeler. Uh, said that uh, take it with a grain of salt I guess it is what it is I don't want to make this go on any further I don't think it's meant to go on any further we're two grown ups here and we're battling like little kids I'm happy to be here with this group of guys uh, I really appreciate those guys and I really appreciate everything the Mets did for me but I'm here with the Phillies now and that's all that really matters I mean the Mets should also be used to their best talent leaving so I don't know <laughs> what it's. this is not new to them like I, it's just um, it's surprising. Uh, and then he goes on to say, I don't think I need any more motivation. When you're going up against a former team or something like that, you're already going to have motivation. I don't think it drives me anymore. Like I said, I think it got blown up a little bit out of proportion. I don't think it's anything too serious. Uh, but looking at Jet Sports Management, seeing if any other players uh, you know, are with uh, the Mets or anything like that that could potentially ruin anything for them would be absolutely great. Uh, looks like Corey Kluber and Gavin Lux are two big guys, Gavin Lux being one of the top prospects in baseball with the Dodgers. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't look like anything is going to come of it when it comes to the Mets. I mean, there's a, there's a ton of guys. Chris Sale is uh, one just of their guys. Not a good – No. It's just not – like, you, <laughs> you have to be smarter than that. Like, you just say the professional thing in public. You can mm -hmm. say whatever you want about Zach Wheeler and behind closed doors. Like, we get it. Like, it's, I'm sure it's frustrating for them and, like, whatever your evaluation is. But why would you just publicly say something like that? It's just so dumb. And it's not even like he said, like – there's really no context that that could fit where it's like, oh, like, that was taken out of context. It's like, no, like – what are you trying to even? What, what point are you trying to score by saying that? It's just, it's just very dumb. And it, it all started because Zach Wheeler told a New York Post reporter on Thursday uh, that he heard crickets from the Mets when his agent gave them a chance to match the Phillies' a uh, five-year, hundred eighteen million dollar offer. Yeah. To say though that, you know, the Mets gave him the opportunity to parlay two good half seasons, like. Come on, the man. Mets would know a lot about good having only good <laughs> half seasons. Like that is just absolutely horrendous in terms of just like phrasing and. Shouldn't he be more worried about the fact that uh, <laughs> they had to rehire a manager? Well, the worst part about all this too is Brody is a former manager or uh, agent of players. Like he was Jacob Degrom's agent before he became the GM of the Mets. How that happened, I don't know, but uh, the Mets are an absolute mess. Yes, which is great. Love, love seeing that. 
Um, that's this that's is why part. anyone who ever says the Mets are a scary team, they are scary if you are a Mets fan. They are that's not scary true. if you are competitive competing against them. Because if there's a way to self implode in any big or small, the Mets will find it. They just do. They are like they are like the. Uh, the, the red team from uh, Star Wars, right? Where they find <laughs> the hole in the Star Destroyer every time. They will find that hole to blow up <laughs> this very expensive <laughs> product any chance they get. That's why the guy who was supposed to buy their team, too, backed out. Yes. Um, let's get to the upsetting news and why the Phillies will not trade for Chris Bryant, or I should say are unlikely to. Uh, this is an article in The Athletic from Megan Montemiro. She does a great job covering the team as well alongside Matt Gelb. Um from the Phillies' perspective, she puts in this article, the concerns in pursuing a potential deal for Bryant are multifaceted. One, the understandably high cost of talent slash prospects the Cubs would want in return. Allegedly, the Cubs want pitching, and the Phillies are not giving up Spencer Howard. And we're going to get into that too. Matt Klintek kind of hinted that Spencer Howard's going to be on this team at some point this season in the rotation, which is a fantastic thing. Um, and if he develops into what we think he's going to be, makes a lot of sense as to why the Phillies did not go out and get pitching. Um, only two years of control remain before Chris Bryant reaches free agency. Obviously, he lost that grievance, so you'd have this season and next season to kind of work out that long-term big money deal. Uh, retaining Bryant beyond the 2021 season would require another massive contract and make the payroll top-heavy. Um, you know, Balancing the roster's payroll structure has been a talking point raised by front office personnel throughout the offseason. The Phillies do not want to be too top-heavy. Essentially, the front office wants to avoid too many big contracts that would make it more difficult to add to the roster in the coming years. Six Phillies players will make at least $14 million in 2020. Uh, some of those deals come off the books after the season, leaving the club with four $14-plus million players in 2021, being Bryce Harper, Zach Wheeler, Andrew McCutcheon, and Gene Segura, while Aaron Nola's uh, AAV bumps up to $12.25 million. And, of course, that doesn't include a contract extension for JT Real Muto, uh, which could feature an AAV of around $20 million. And I think that's a big aspect of this, too, is that you've just... You essentially did what you're hoping to do with Chris Bryant with JT Real Muto, which is you had to pick up you know, big prospects, pitching, being one of those prospects, to get a guy that it was... I, I mean, JT is like a massive upgrade. Um, and it's a very similar situation that you had to... You had a short window um, in terms of years to, to kind of convince this guy to stay and re-sign him, and you're going to have to re-sign him at a big price. Chris Bryant is going to be almost the exact same, and it makes sense that um, you know they might be hesitant to do that and that they are afraid of being top-heavy because you've already handed out big deals, um, and some of them longer term, and you know that these guys are not going to be them, their best selves for the last you know quarter of, of their contract length. And, you know, that is that is one way, I think, to really put yourself in a sticky situation is hand out too many of these big, you know, massive deals um, and, and find yourself down the road kicking yourself, um, especially if things don't work out in between then, you know, if, if you don't actually win a championship. But you, you also can't let the fear of what those last few years look like stop you from pulling the trigger on what could be the difference between you winning a World Series. Um and, and I hope that that's like, taken into account here. Uh, and then Megan goes on to say, for all the valid reasons the Phillies aren't compelled to trade for Bryant, this is a deal they should be able to make. The lack of trade capital to pull off this type of move is an indictment on the organization's draft hall during the rebuilding years. The 2016 draft proved to be particularly costly and failing to yield assets. Unfortunately for the Phillies, when they had the number one overall pick, the draft didn't boast a can't-miss talent such as Bryce Harper in 2010 or great college prospects like Dansby Swanson and Alex Bregman, who went numbers 1 and 2 in 2015. And she says, notably, the Phillies drafted Cornelius Randolph 10th overall that year, who is still in AA. Uh, the Phillies approached the 2016 draft trying to strategically maximize their signing, pool, uh, signing bonus pool allotment. They reached an agreement with top pick Mickey Moniak on a below-slot deal and shifted the leftover money in part to two pay to pay two high schoolers above slot, keeping them from going to college, the college route. However, right-handed uh, pitcher Kevin Gowdy, their second-round pick in 2016, tore his UCL and missed all of the 2017 and 2018 seasons after Tommy John surgery. 
And uh, last season, the 22-year-old had a 4.68 ERA and a 1.74 WHIP in 24 games, 16 starts at Low A Lakewood. Uh, the Phillies' third pick of that draft, infielder outfielder Cole Stobe, has struggled and been sidelined by injuries during his career. And I, I mean, that's a lot of the symptoms now go back to poor decision making in these these tanking years that the Phillies had and and yeah they're reaping what they've sown you know this this isn't anyone's fault but the Phillies organization here and the, that's not even where you're getting into the years between you have you know some front office management crossover they, these were the guys that are in charge now making these decisions the only that, guy gone is the scouting director yeah, which which puts you in this position so don't know what to tell you and she ends up, uh, the article saying if only the Phillies had the type of depth to produce a star-worthy prospect package and land a dynamic player in Bryant. They would be able to add a former MVP without sacrificing the future. It's true, and and that's an indictment on this Phillies rebuild is that they did not land a single player that has made a full-blown impact like a Chris Bryant, like a Bryce Harper, like an Alex Bregman. Uh, sure, you can put an asterisk next to his name too, but you know, none of these prospects have been you know, franchise altering, maybe outside of Aaron Nolan, that was right at the beginning of the rebuilding process. I mean, you, you tanked for really four years, right? You, there's obviously you know, one mm-hmm. or two on the other end of that, but four years, you, you should have had someone on the level, you know, maybe not necessarily an MVP candidate or, or an actual MVP, right? Like that's not easy to do, but you should have had at least an all-star in that time that you've drafted. They didn't have to be an all-star should by have had now, guys of on course. This roster. Yes, like there, there should be guys playing now that have, that have gotten at least that level or close to that level, and, and there really isn't anyone. Um, you know, and that's that is a major failure that the Phillies had. That's irreversible now, too. It's not like you can't fix it in any way. You can't change the past, so you just have to charge forward, and that's why now paying money is the only way to kind of dig yourself out of that hole. You know, you, you tried the quote-unquote smart route of, of, you know, building through the draft and, and adding prospects, and they've been a little unlucky with some of their picks, of course, and there's some luck involved with player development, but um, there has been a lot of bad decision-making by the Phillies. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because, you know, I don't think I can sit and witness another wasted year of Harper, Real Muto, Nola's primes because this team has just been, you know, not functioning the way that they should have when it comes to drafting, when it comes to signing free agents. And you just got to hope that, you know, Matt Klintek's comments about Spencer Howard and how he fully expects to see him this season uh, at some point in the rotation are actually true um, because that would be a massive development for this Phillies rotation to have a guy who we think has all the capabilities in the world to be a front of the rotation starter. Yeah. And I think, again, that's why you're seeing some of the patience that you're seeing by the Phillies. Um, you know, especially when they only went and got Zach Wheeler, you know, this off season in terms of pitching, mm-hmm. it, that to me was a clear sign that, you know, even back then that, Okay, they're looking at Spencer Howard, and then you have four guys because Arietta's obviously has to be included, and then you can have one of the misfit island toys as your fifth, right? Um, and and that that seems like a plan that I'm willing to buy into because then if Spencer Howard works out, you now have three potential studs. Um, Arietta's gone next. year. Arietta's gone next year, which means you know next summer you off season. Sorry. Um, well, technically next summer, too, I yeah. guess, at that, that trade deadline, you could make another big addition. But you'd be able to sign someone in free agency because you have money loosened up and a, and a potential, you know, actual starting mm-hmm. rotation spot. And then you can move forward again. So hopefully that's the way it works out. But that's, um, <laughs> you know, it, that, that's going to involve some luck, too. And hopefully, again, they've learned from their mistakes and they've uh, they've done their homework, and, and hopefully Spencer Howard. It's a lot of pressure to put on him. You know, it, it's not easy to come up at, at this level and, and be great. And um, he's also never pitched a hundred innings in a season. Yeah, like this is he's an inexperienced player, and and to to kind of put quite a bit of your future on him is uh, a lot on him, and it's a lot on you as as a front office guy to to make that call. So. Hopefully they're right, but I mean, man, that's it's it's a big balls decision. And obviously he's going to start the year, I think, at Lehigh Valley and, and kind of build up, you know, the innings there. And 
Who knows when we'll see him? Probably the earliest would be in the month of May, but my guess would be, you know, probably around June. I think we'll June see well. what happens with Arietta, who came out and said, you know, this is the first time I've been 100% healthy with this team, uh, which, I mean, is true. You know, first season he was here, came in, you know, in March. You know, we talk about signing Harper. We didn't sign Jake Arietta until about St. Patrick's Day, his first season here. Um, and then he was hurt, you know, every single season he's been here. So I'm willing to give Jake the benefit of the doubt, being that he's going to be a back-end starter in my, you know, going into the season mentally-wise. Jake's going to be a fringe 4-5 or five starter in terms of production. Let's see what happens with him, uh, especially the new pitching coach, too. Like, I, I kind of have clean slate on a lot of the poor managing of this pitching staff and, and how they've performed, and I want to see what they do under uh, Brian Price and and how they can perform with a new voice and and not being thrown piss-poor numbers that aren't factual. Um, So it's going to be interesting with this pitching set, but I'd say probably towards the end of June, early July is when we'd see Spencer Howard in any capacity. Yeah, I think that makes – and, you know, that gives everyone you have that's not named Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola, you, you get a lot of, you know, numbers on them and how they perform so far this season whether that means they've they're meeting their valuation or not whatever um you know and to to make that kind of decision and then you're giving yourself you know probably two or three starts from spencer howard potentially before you go into the trade deadline to get a, a better idea of what he looks like um and what kind of real change you may or may not need to make so yeah i, I think and you know also there's the potential, of course, that that gives you two or three starts of Spencer Howard to show in to showcase him. And not that I'd like that to happen, of course, but that is a reality of this. And Alec Bohm potentially in that same boat, where then you have some time to show them, look, they can play at a, a major league level. Give us Chris Bryant. <laughs> and the way that I look at it, Spencer Howard's not going anywhere. Yeah, he's the he's the one surefire locked in prospect in this organization that is going to be a part of this team, hopefully winning a World Series, if not more, uh, and being a pivotal part of this rotation. If anything, I think giving the time frame of when we potentially see him, it's a showcase more for sending Vince Velasquez somewhere, or Nick Pavetta, or Zach Eflin, or Jake Arrieta, you know, for a, a desperate team that needs pitching, and if you can get Spencer Howard in here by moving one of those guys and, and making it easier on yourself... That's a potential long-term showcase for those guys, so teams have plenty of you know numbers on them from what they've seen with a new pitching coach and a new philosophy with this Phillies coaching staff. Well, Vince Velasquez as well is uh, one of the the best utility players, super versatile. So, uh, we forgot to announce it on Wednesday, Matt, but the Underground Sports Philadelphia Hall of Fame voting has concluded. Obviously, we announced uh, our Community Award winner being our guy Giovanni, but. The, the legend ballot has concluded, and uh, happy to announce that both Harold Carmichael and Kobe Bryant will be going in uh, in our legends ballot. Uh, the Phillies ballot was, was pretty cl- it was a lot closer than I expected, uh, but Bryce Harper did take it home. A lot of people did vote for JT, uh, rightfully so. He's the best catcher in baseball, and if he continues to be here and, and perform the way he has, I wouldn't be surprised if JT gets into our Hall of Fame as well within the next year. Uh, the Sixers one was was kind of, you know, personal for us. Mike Scott has meant a lot to our operation here and uh, has done a lot for us. We're going to have the opportunity to hang out with Mike Scott tomorrow night, uh, you know, with the Mike Scott Hive event. So Mike Scott is going in. Uh, for the Sixers, a lot of people voted for Matisse Thibel. It was it was you know a, a good option, but I think we still have a lot to see from Matisse and the way he's going. He's going to be an, an all time player and hopefully an all time Sixer the way that he's been playing. Um, Eagles wise, a very good selection that was brought to us uh, when you were not here when Dan was here with Dylan. Brandon Brooks going in, uh, you know, battling back from the Achilles injury playing at an all-pro level and unfortunately getting hurt towards the end of the season. But Brandon Brooks has been one of Howie Roseman's all-time free agent signings, has been dynamic uh, the way that he has, you know, just played on that offensive line. And uh, he's going to be an all-time Eagle, in my opinion, which is really awesome from a, you know, you look at free agent signings, Phillies. Uh, Brandon Brooks has, has made his name 
beloved in this city, and to do it as an offensive lineman is uh, pretty damn impressive. And then uh, for the Flyers, it goes all the way back to the beginning of the season, uh, and it's Elaine Vigneault's quote, be a bleeping flyer. Uh, so that's your Underground Sports Philadelphia Hall of Fame class for year two of this damn thing. Thank you all for voting. Um, it's been a hell of a ride, and we'll see what happens in year three. But to promote our newest podcast, too, new Stranger Things trailer came out. And uh, you guys should be following Streamer Season on Twitter and Instagram, at StreamerSZN. What were your thoughts on the on the trailer, man? Well, I think we all knew uh, Hopper was alive. Uh, if, you, if you watch the post-credit, I like... It just all felt like there's no way they actually yes. cut him off, which sucks because we live in a world now where, like, you know, there's not a lot of stakes in, in a lot of these big movies and big TV shows. We It always feels like the hero survives somehow, mm-hmm. but it's cool to see him back. I'm very intrigued as to what kind of plot points we're going to get. Um, it's interesting, you know, like, I... I I, I'm just very curious to see where this goes. It was a nice little teaser because it doesn't give you very much. He's right. in some kind of prison camp now, Russia. like in Russia. Um, and I'd assume there'd be some more interdimensionality to, mm-hmm. to this this upcoming season. But um, there's not a lot to go on the way that the last season ended. Uh, people moved away. There's, there's just life changes. And um, it's... It's not like there's still some open-ended questions here, really. Eleven it's, lost her powers. <laughs> yeah, 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 it feels like a lot of this is... It felt a lot like that season was kind of it. You know, like, that could... The, the, the series could've. The series could have ended there, and you'd been like, yeah, that's... You know, life goes on, everyone grows up, and things change. But I'm very curious to see what they do for what I would, I would imagine might actually be the last season. The, uh... The fun part about it, you know, going back and thinking about things is like at the end they talked about them meeting back up at Thanksgiving or Christmas and, you know, that can't be that much further in terms of real life filming this thing because you don't want the kids to age that much more from what they did from season two to season three. Um, But there's also talks that uh, there could be a season five following season four, so we'll see what happens and uh, I'm excited. The way that it looks, I think we're about halfway to finding out when the season comes out. I think they'll do it like they did uh, this past season, mm-hmm. and, and really even since the beginning, where it's like out during the time that it's based in. Yeah. So if it is a Thanksgiving and Christmas-themed like season, which is great. I mean, mm-hmm. I, it's nice having something like binge over the holidays and stuff because everyone's home. You have a lot, like, some more free time. So, yeah, I, I would imagine if you know it follows that same pattern, which I'd, I would guess they would, should be seeing it, you know, like late 2020. Super excited. It's one of my favorite shows. Uh, and to get that historical element kind of put into it now, going to Russia, it's the Cold War era. Um, I'm pretty pumped. And that's why you guys should be following Streamer Season on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, it's going to be a nice little, you know, break from the sports talk. And you get to kind of see our personalities and, and how we kind of view uh, the shows we like to watch. So. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram there, and you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram for all of our podcasts, especially this one, at UndergroundPHI. You can follow Matt on Twitter at Matt Castorina. You can follow me on Twitter at KBIZZL311. And uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We've been getting a lot more five-star ratings and reviews recently. Uh, great to see that there. We are you know, slowly creeping towards 300, which is awesome. Um so make sure you drop those five-star ratings and reviews. Let us know you know, what you think about the Flyers and, and how they are on this kind of come-up. Let us know what you think about the Phillies and the way that they're kind of operating uh, and how you're enjoying your all-star break uh, and your break from the Sixers. And if you don't have an iPhone to go on Apple Podcasts, you can also do it on a computer. Uh, you just download the iTunes app. Or if you don't use it at all, you can check us out on Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, the TuneIn app, iHeartRadio, radio.com, wherever you get your podcasts. We are there, and uh, we'll be back on Wednesday talking about whatever comes to light in this uh, you know, Philly sports scene. Sixers will be on their on the verge of being back, I believe. I think so. Uh, you know, five more days, so the 20th is their next game, so they'll be playing on Thursday, so we'll preview that uh, Brooklyn Nets matchup. And uh, whatever else you know comes our way from Philly spring training, gonna try and see if I can get somebody that's down at spring training to call into the show and, and kind of give us an update from a first hand view on what's going down in Clearwater. 
Um, but as always, guys, show brought to you by Main Auto LLC, Ducharms Pro Foot, Security 21, Wainwright Bernhardt Funeral Home, Paul J. Gillespie Incorporated, Bob Novick Automall, Mark Ronchetti, CPA LLC, and the Dental Wellness Center of Vineland. And of course, check out our design tree storefront, dsgntree.com. Search Underground Sports Philadelphia and use the promo code DSGN10 for $10 off at checkout. This has been Underground Sports Philadelphia, episode number 211. For Matt, I'm Kyle. We are signing off. Peace.